Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads. Love where you live. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So I have a couple of announcements. First, I have a new class coming out on mindfulness for kids, the way to work with your kids, teaching them mindfulness. I'm going to talk more about that when we get a little bit closer. It'll be a couple of weeks. Ashley, my graphic designer, marketing coordinator extraordinaire, is creating the presentation slides right now and the handouts. Once she's done, we'll get it recorded and edited and up on the website. So it'll be another couple of weeks, but I'm really excited about that one. Mindfulness is a great thing for us as adults. I have just started practicing some more of that myself. Also, I have a new podcast coming out. Yes, I'm going to keep doing this one, but the new one is about creating deep, connecting adult-to-adult relationships, be they romantic partnerships, friendships, family, coworkers, and peers in some capacity, All of life is about relationships, and I truly believe the quality of our relationships dictates the quality of our lives, and there's so many pieces to that, so I have been diving into a lot of these pieces and creating episodes. I am creating a lot of episodes first before I release it, so I have an inventory. I'm going to share more about that as it gets closer, but for this podcast, for this week, I'm getting to some basics with answering a question from a parent about a sleep situation. However, it's about misbehaviors. And so I'm gonna dive into misbehaviors, how we can dissect these misbehaviors to, and the reasons kids misbehave. I'm gonna get into this in a little bit different way than I have in the past. I'm gonna do some more information that I have in the past because this situation really lends itself nicely to digging in deeper to that. So we're gonna talk about misbehaviors and then 
apply it directly to um, this mom's situation with her toddler who's dealing with some real nighttime struggles. And I think it'll be really helpful not just for parents dealing with sleep or bedtime or middle of the night issues, but parents who are struggling with some repeated misbehaviors in their house as well. This question is a bedtime, nighttime sleep question from Rosa. And this was a really long question. I pared it down a little bit, tried to just stick to the main details so that I don't spend too much time reading through the question. Um, she says, we have a two and a half year old soon to, and a soon to be one year old and we live in a two bedroom. Our plan has always been that at six months we would move our daughter into our son's room and they would room share. We have been very lucky in that my son and daughter have been great sleepers from early on. Up until two, my son slept about 12 hours a night straight through without waking. He falls asleep on his own. We've used blackout curtains and a sound machine since he was born and a hatch light that turns green when it's okay for him to get out of bed since he was two. We have a solid, consistent bedtime routine, which he loves. He gets a lot of choices and opportunities for contribution. He picks his books, his songs, turns on his sound machine. He is generally compliant and doesn't fight us on the routine. Around 22 months, he started climbing out of the crib consistently. Once this happened, bedtime became a struggle and he would wake throughout the night often. We went from great sleeping habits to having all the issues thrown at us at once. We switched him to a toddler bed. And this is perfect. I love, I'm going to step in here and just say that Rosa for, and for anyone else, once they start climbing out of their crib consistently, um, you want to move to a toddler bed because they're going to get out anyway and you want to minimize the opportunity for them to get hurt climbing out. I mean, toddlers are amazing. If once they figure out how to climb, they're usually pretty good, but it just minimizes um, any issue with safety. And they're, like I said, they're getting out anyway. You might as well get them to the toddler bed and then just get that issue um, handled with helping them stay in bed and learning to stay in bed in the toddler bed rather than having to put them back in the crib and back in the crib. Okay, so Rosa goes on to say, for the first two months, he never got out of his bed and he would wait for his light in the morning before getting out or calling for us. We had our nights back temporarily. We then spent time explaining that his sister would be sleeping in his room with him. We put her crib in there and made everything very exciting. Soon after this, before we ever actually moved her in, he began to get out of bed all the time. That was six months ago and we're still struggling. I'm sure wrapping his mind around sharing a room has been difficult, but I figured if we supported him through it, validated emotions and continued talking about it with consistency, it would resolve quickly. It started with just during the night, then a few weeks after it spilled into bedtime. We're very consistent about walking him back to his bed each time. For the first few months, we simply took shifts so we could remain consistent. We keep it short, don't engage, we say it's time to sleep and walk him back each time. He's never come into our bed, he's not even asking to do that. He's not asking or wanting to play. He wasn't even crying when he was waking up, simply walking into our room, and as soon as he would get up, he would walk himself back, get in his bed. We would put the cover on and say, it's time to sleep. And that's that. Some nights it would only happen once, not a big deal, but other nights it would happen every two hours or the most difficult nights when he would get out of bed back to back and we were spending one to two hours straight walking him back. It's exhausting. After a few months, I spoke to a sleep consultant who suggested we use the door monkey. It's a door latch that keeps him in his room, but the door is not closed completely. We decided to try it because some nights he would wake up my daughter who sleeps in our room. We explained it to him, told him he had three chances to show us he could stay in bed, but if he couldn't, then we would put the latch on to keep him safe. We end up having to use it each night because he doesn't stay in bed. 
I'm still not sure how I feel about the door latch. I go back and forth whether it's a healthy boundary to set or not, because at times it doesn't feel like the gentle, respectful parenting approach that we like. We need to move my daughter into the room ASAP, so I would like some tips as to how to help with this transition and then deal with him getting out of bed once she's in there. Rosa did give some additional information, and as I go through and answer the question and work through this whole process together, um, I am going to, I'll mention some of the things that she mentioned just so that you all have the same background that I do. So this is a great question. Because like I said in the beginning, there's more going on here than meets the eye. It, it's about misbehaviors more than so much it is a bedtime issue. So, you know, misbehaviors can exhibit themselves in many, many different ways in many scenarios. It just happens to be that this um, toddler is exhibiting it at the bedtime in middle of the night. But these misbehaviors can come up in any different kinds of ways. So we're going to talk about what are some of the reasons for misbehaviors, um, more than I have talked about in the past, we're going to dig in a little deeper here for this one um, because Rosa's given some really great um, detailed explanations. She's talked about how she's really following all the stuff I talk about um, pretty much step by step. So we're going to talk about why some why there might be some difficulties here in this case. Because this is a toddler who is or was, for all intents and purposes, a very good sleeper. So he's not struggling with how to put himself to sleep at night or how to put himself back to sleep. He knows how to put himself to sleep. So he has this skill down. So there's another reason he's getting up at bedtime in the middle of the night. There's always a reason behind behavior. So there can be many reasons behind the reason kids, and I'm going to put this in quotes, misbehave. So the first reason is that there's not an understanding of the expectation. If you have a child who doesn't understand what's expected of them, then they're going to continue to do a behavior because they don't even know that's something that we don't like. Now, this is obviously not the case in this instance. Mom and dad have been very consistent about putting um, their son back to bed at night uh, and at bedtime and letting him know he needs to stay in his room. And if he doesn't, they're going to use the door monkey. So he knows what the behavior is. So that's not the issue here, but that's, that is a common reason. There's testing boundaries. Now, the thing with testing boundaries is that, you know, kids want to see what can I get away with? What kind of power can I pull back? Where can I have as much independence as I want? It's not that they necessarily need it, especially in that scenario, but they'll test it. Now, when we've set the boundaries down solidly, this usually lasts a very short time. That should fix it because they know that you mean it when you say that they, they're not supposed to get up or they're not supposed to, you know, whatever it is they're not supposed to do, whatever boundary that you're setting around them. They're not supposed to walk out in the street. Um, and then you set that boundary and then there's a consequence if they break it again. So, um, so setting those boundaries and following through every single time will usually dissipate behavior very, very quickly. So not understanding rules and boundaries, not having an understanding of expected behavior, or testing certain boundaries to see how serious are my parents, how serious are my caregivers about this rule, and see what they can pull back. So some other reasons are an unmet need. Now, when we talk about unmet needs, sometimes these are a real need. And sometimes it's a mistaken need, meaning, you know, children can be extremely needy or act extremely needy. We're giving them a ton of what they need, a ton of attention, a ton of interaction, a ton of, you know, the physical activity that they need every day. And so they're getting their needs met. But so sometimes it's a, what we call a mistaken need where they they're trying to get even more just to see how much they can get. Now, you know, they're smart. They're, they're just trying to see like, how much can I get? How much power can I get? How much independence can I get? How much attention can I get? If you're giving them all of those things, 
very well during the day, there's really no need for the behavior to be continuing. So this is not an unmet actual need in this case. So, so it could be a mistaken need for something. So we're gonna go into that a little deeper. I'm also gonna talk about nighttime parenting versus daytime parenting, because there is a difference. And Rosa hit it straight on when she said, um, it doesn't feel like the gentle, respectful parenting approach that we like when she was talking about using the door monkey. And, and I totally understand this. So I wanna talk about nighttime parenting versus daytime parenting. And we're gonna talk a little bit about respectful parenting. So I'm gonna start out talking about some respectful parenting, what it is and isn't. And then I'm gonna get into the nighttime versus daytime parenting. We're gonna get into some real specific tips for Rosa, helping her decipher what is going on here and then fixing that issue, give her some options, um, different options for working on this that she can try or decide which one sounds better for her. And then I'm also gonna talk about change and how to help kids through change. In this case, it's bringing a sibling into the room, but I'm gonna talk about it in general as well as specific tips for moving kids into the same room if you have this same thing. We had this at one point, we had our twins in the same room and then we tried to switch some things around. So I'm gonna talk about moving siblings into the same room as one example of a change. So let's talk about respectful parenting. So what does this mean? What does this look like? It doesn't mean our child will never experience a negative emotion. It means we're giving opportunities for our children to learn the skills they will need to thrive. Sometimes this means opportunities for them to struggle through the hard stuff now when they are young, when we are here to support them, so that when they go out in the world, they are confident and capable of coping with life's ups and downs, coping with life's disappointments, understanding that life doesn't always give us 100% what we want every moment of the day. We need to learn to respect other people, respect other people's boundaries, respect life rules like speeding and other types of things that are just there to keep us safe. So we're gonna teach them about that now. It also doesn't mean, respectful parenting doesn't mean if a reaction is too strong that we pull back on boundaries. I wanna dive into this question a lot more, including some more on respectful parenting and night parenting versus day parenting, how we set those boundaries and still feel like we're being respectful, looking for the reasons behind misbehaviors and especially in this particular instance. And lastly, ways to help kids manage change that can help these life changes in early childhood go much smoother or even beyond early childhood whether it's a new preschool, a new house, a new sibling, a grandparent coming to live with you, or what have you. Right after a word from our sponsors. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. 
Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Now that we're back after the break, let's get into the rest of this question, starting with some more about respectful parenting. So respectful parenting means that we set boundaries and we follow through out of love and commitment to their best well-being. On the opposite of that, disrespectful parenting would be doing things out of revenge, would be doing things out of anger, would be doing things out of frustration, um, rather than taking the time to understand where they're coming from, from. So let's just take a quick example of we're asking our child to clean up the toys before dinner and they get mad and they throw the toy. So rather than going in and connecting with that emotion, understanding that they're frustrated about cleaning up the toys and then helping them work through that they still need to clean up the toys, they still need to get ready for dinner, that throwing the toy is not acceptable and working through that whole process. It's a long process, so I'm not going to talk through the whole thing. But if you've listened to um, this podcast for a while, you've, you've heard a lot of examples on working with kids through that, connecting with their emotion, and then moving towards them doing what you need them to do. So instead of doing that respectful parenting-wise, it would be getting angry, picking up the toys, throwing them all into the box, taking them away and saying, you don't get these toys back until tomorrow. That's the disrespectful parenting. So it's reacting to it's reacting to a toddler um, it's reacting to a toddler tantrum with parental anger, you know, rather than dealing with that process and helping them through that process. Because I know it can be exhausting, always having to help them walk through their emotions all the time, and or many many multiple times a day. But that's that respectful parenting piece where we really have to dig in, find our inner peace, and help our toddlers work through and preschoolers and children even, um, work through those emotions, help them through that whole process. So that's what we're talking about, the respectful parenting. Okay, so, so just to reiterate, 
We often do need to give our children less than favorable news in their best interest. Cleaning up the toys before dinner. It's time to stop what you're doing to have dinner. It's time to get ready for bed. You need to stay in your bed. I need you to brush your teeth. It's time to take a bath. You know, hope some kids like baths. My kids do not like showers, so they hate when I have to tell them they have to take a shower. But you know what? That's life. So... We're setting boundaries out of love, though. Just like I said, it's not out of revenge. It's not to wield power that we're bigger and we're stronger and we can make them do what we want. It's respectful. It's teaching them life skills. It's this is life. This I need you to take a shower because you don't want to get stinky or I don't want you to get stinky. We're just setting those boundaries and we're teaching them these important life skills. We're expecting our children to go to bed and stay there. Now, while it may feel like it's for us to get some much needed downtime, And that is a strong force at times, and there's nothing wrong with that. The underlying reason really is for their health and development. Kids need their sleep. Their brains need to be ready to learn the next day. They learn better, they develop better cognitively and physically when they're getting enough sleep. And emotionally, they handle their emotions much better when they get enough sleep. All these areas. This is an important skill. Knowing how to fall asleep, stay asleep throughout the night, wake up rested. It's also true that we're better parents when we are well-rested as well. That's not to be dismissed. So setting a boundary around bedtime is not a disrespectful thing to do. It's actually a very respectful thing to do. You're setting them up for a lifetime of good sleep habits. You're setting good boundaries, and they know what's expected of them. Also, like I already shared, it means respectful parenting is keeping communication respectful. They may not be acting respectfully, but we always do. Even when they're angry, even when they're out of control, we set the example how to work through tough emotions and tough emotional exchanges with grace and with boundaries, with love and firmness and kindness. Okay, so let's talk about nighttime versus daytime parenting. So sometimes it feels really counterintuitive to be so available during the day, connecting, loving, teaching, guiding, and then strict and matter-of-fact at bedtime and nighttime. But there is a difference. Nighttime is for sleeping. Daytime is for playing and eating and giggling and loving and cuddling and reading and learning and all of those things. Nighttime is for sleeping. So our nighttime job is different than our daytime job. Setting solid bedtime boundaries is a loving thing to do. This doesn't mean we're 100% unavailable, however. If your child gets sick, they spike a fever, they cry out for us, of course we go in and check. Of course we cuddle them. Of course we find some medicine if they're spiking a fever and we need to give them some something to bring it down. Of course we may stay with them if they have a runny nose and they're stuffed up and they're having trouble breathing and we snuggle them back to sleep. We are available to comfort them, give them the medicine, help them get back to sleep. Once the illness has passed, we go right back to our normal bedtime and nighttime parenting. Otherwise, With a healthy child, our nighttime job is to teach good sleep skills. So for Rosa, if using the door monkey is the only way to keep the boundary in place, there's nothing wrong with using it. You are using extremely respectful parenting, telling him what the boundaries are, what your expectations are. You're even giving him a chance to make the right decision. And then when he's not, you're putting it on. Now, what I would say is you give him one chance and one chance only. Giving three chances is giving a lot. And I think it may be confusing. Now, you did mention in your question also about going back to the mantra method. And you're certainly welcome to do that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the mantra method, um, about how to make it as little engaging as possible. So that is an option. You could decide to try that for three nights. And then if that doesn't work, then um, then just use the 
the door monkey, I would give him one chance and one chance only. Because like I said, you give him three chances, he's going to take all three chances. Give him because you're setting an important boundary. He, there's no reason he needs to be getting up. He doesn't need to see you. He doesn't need to get you. The door actually can stay a little bit open. If for any reason he does get sick or spike a fever and needs to cry out to you, he absolutely can. Um, he can let you know he needs your help. But otherwise, there's just no reason. But otherwise, he really does. There's really no need for him to be getting out of bed. And what he really needs is to learn to sleep through the night. And that bedtime is bedtime. That nighttime is nighttime. So it is okay to get more strict about this habit and break this bad habit. Now, um, I'm also going to talk about the mantra method in a second. I also want to talk about moving the infant into the room. I'm going to get more into that. If you want to do it now, now is a fine time. You're already struggling with night times and bedtime. So if you feel like, because there, it's very potential that once you move her in there, that you're going to have some problems. So if you get his problem all fixed, you move her in and then it reinitiates some problems, then you're starting over again. It may be a good time to just go ahead and move her in. So you may want to think about that. I'll get into that a little bit more too in a second. I also, when we're talking about the mantra method, I want to look into the behavior a little bit more deeply. Think about what reason do you think he has for engaging in the behavior? Not kids only. I mean, kids, yes, but all humans. We don't engage in behavior that doesn't get some sort of payoff. So he has to be getting some sort of payoff. The good news is if you're using the door monkey, if you go to that method and he can't leave his room, then the behavior is going to go away. If you decide not to do that and you actually want to go back to the mantra method, really think about the reason behind it. He must be getting something because if he's getting no reaction from you, he's not going to keep doing it. He's going to stop doing it. There's just, there's no reason if he doesn't get something. I know, and I know you said he's getting plenty of connection during the day, exercise, all of that. He has no need for attention at night for this. So I would recommend no words. No eye contact whatsoever. You didn't mention eye contact or not. No eye contact. Do not look him in the eye. Do not say a word. He knows what's expected. You don't even need to say it's bedtime. Because um, he understands that. Because he sees you stand up and he turns around and he walks back into his room right on his own. So he knows. There may be some power in seeing mom and dad get up out of bed. So that could be a little bit of a power grab there. Um, you, you can walk him back to bed without a word. Don't tuck him in, don't kiss him. You don't even need to cover him with a blanket. You can put the blanket on and walk out. But again, zero eye contact, plain, boring as possible. I want you to think about being a robot, an automaton, no emotion, no frustration, no reaction. There is no fun for a kid when the parent acts like a robot. I mean, why, who, what kid would walk into a robot's room in the middle of the night to walk them back to bed? There's just no fun in that. There's nothing in that and there's no payoff. So think about being a robot. Okay. Sharing a room tips. Let's talk about that. Okay. So timing. The first timing would be baby sleeping through the night. It sounds like your baby is sleeping through the night. I don't know if you told me that specifically, but as long as baby sleeping through the night, then you're good to go. Um, you want to think about safety. So while it can be tempting to push the transition, you want baby to have a safe sleeping environment in the room. So the, the biggest thing with this is that you want to have a talk with your toddler or preschooler um, because they can be tempted to climb into the baby's crib with them. Sometimes they may offer a small toy that could be a choking hazard. Um, put that in the crib with the baby. There may not be any toys in the room or any way for him to offer that. In that case, it may be good to have the door monkey because then he can't be going and getting toys and bringing them into the room that could be a choking hazard. So you want to talk with the toddler about what he can and can't do with his little sister when she moves into the room. 
You also could consider installing a video monitor to keep an eye on what's happening as far as safety. So that's another option there. And so, and it's also common that when you put two rooms, two rooms together, two kids together in a room that you can expect some disruption in the sleep. So this is going to be a little bit of a transition, potentially. I mean, it does happen well sometimes, but it is a potential that there could be some disruption. So like I said, that's why now might be a good time. Get them both in the same room, work out all the kinks all at once rather than getting everything fixed and then having it to start over. That would be really frustrating. Okay, sleep schedules. You had said, asked about the wake-ups. You were worried about the wake-ups. My suggestion is when one kid wakes up, the other one wakes up when they're sharing a room. So yes, I would try to get them on the same schedule so that you know, if your infant needs longer sleep, which is usually the case, um, the baby goes to bed first and then toddler goes to bed second and then their wake-up times could be about the same. It's very unlikely that, um, that the infant will stay asleep when the toddler wakes up or vice versa. Now, of course... Just like I said, issues with getting sick, somebody starts teething, this can cause some trouble with nighttime parenting. And when one child is dealing with it, the other child is going to get woken up. So you're kind of dealing with double duty there. So if one child gets sick, chances are they're both gonna get sick anyway. But um, you know, both children are getting woken up when one child gets sick or both children are getting woken up when one child is struggling with teething. So just know that, that's, that that is very possible. What you wanna do in that case is to have is to have an alternative plan. Keeping some type of a pack and play in your room or in the closet so you can pull it out for the older sibling or for the toddler, I'm sorry, for the older sibling or for the baby. Um, keep some sort of alternative bed in the bedroom so that you know if baby's sick, baby comes back into the bedroom for a couple of days. If toddler's sick, toddler can sleep in the pack and play for a couple of days and be in your room with you so that it's not waking up the other child. That is an option also. Okay, so I think I covered all the tips and things. I think I covered all the tips I wanted to on this particular issue, but I do wanna talk about changes, setting up for changes. So when we parents have an expectation of our children, it often comes through. So um, you know, if we think that something's gonna be difficult for them, we tend to say or do or behave in certain ways that they pick up on and then um, they do tend to exhibit that behavior. So when it comes to changes, you know, expect that things are gonna go well, expect that the child is going to accept this without a problem. So as a toddler, he hasn't had his own room for very long. So there really shouldn't be much difficulty with going to sharing a room. Um, it should be actually kind of fun and a little bit exciting. Now my kids, my boys are now 10 and 12 and they have had their own rooms for a very long time and in this house they're now sharing a room. They weren't super thrilled about it, although it's really my youngest that's struggling with it more than my oldest, but you know, they're ready to have their own rooms back and it wasn't, so it's been a little bit rough, but not terrible, but um, you just go in with the attitude of, you know, this is going to be great. You're going to, here's the positives of it. We're moving the crib in. She's going to move in here next week. And then just, and just know that there's lots of siblings all over the world that share rooms all the time. It's really not a big deal. And it's really an opportunity as they get old, older for some bonding. I love it. My boys, I hear them talking to each other as they fall asleep at night and they only chat for a few minutes and then they fall asleep. So it's a really great opportunity for bonding, but I know with older, I know, I, mean, I know with younger kids, it can cause some bumps in the road, which we already covered. The other thing I want to talk about change is we don't want to give too much warning where it's just becomes this thing like 
it's too far out for them to really process it. So, you know, when it comes to things like, I actually did a video on YouTube about this, about helping kids through change. So if you want to see more about that, that's on the YouTube channel under Your Village. Talk about some steps for helping kids through change. But it's basically, you don't want to go too far out. And the younger they are, the less far out you go. So a one to two week warning for a young child to sharing a room is, is plenty of warning for that. And if things all, aren't all working smoothly, it's, you might just want to bite the bullet and just move the other child in because then there becomes this long anticipation about, and it becomes a bigger and bigger deal. You know, when it comes to moving preschools, same kind of thing. You know, you can give like a two week warning and be like, hey, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna start this new preschool. Here's the great things about it. You want to talk about the positives about it, not be like overly Pollyanna and excited about it and how awesome it's going to be. And it's going to be so great and everything, but you know, really nice positive things. It has a really nice play yard. You know, it has, you're going to be in the bigger kids room, whatever the positives are. You want to talk about those positives of whatever change is coming up. You know, you don't want to ask about negative emotions. You don't want to kind of bait the answer, so to speak. You don't want to be like, are you anxious about this? Are you nervous about this? I know you've had your own room, or I know you've been in this preschool for two years. Are you a little nervous about the change? You don't want to bait the answer because as soon as you say that, they're going to be like, oh, I'm supposed to be nervous or, oh, I'm supposed to be concerned or, oh, I'm supposed to be anxious about this or, oh, I'm leaving my friends. You know, they haven't had very much life experience, so everything is new as a toddler anyway. So this is just one more new experience. We want to accentuate the positives and allow for negative feelings if they bring them to us that they say, I don't want to change schools. Well, tell me about that. Why are you concerned about changing schools? And you certainly are always there to listen, but you don't want to bring up any possible negative feelings, emotions, ideas for them to then put into their brain and start thinking about. If you want to learn more about bedtimes and sleep times, positive discipline, helping kids with negative emotions, you know, and of course, building this really positive parenting connection through positive discipline, you can check out any of the 60 parenting classes on the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.